All right, so we're, we're obviously in chapter 42, and God's overall plan is really starting to, to come into play, right? That, that he's bringing the children of Israel, he's going to bring them into Egypt, and this is the first really big step of doing that. And so tonight we enter into a part of the story that really will have its fulfillment in chapters 45 and 46, because what this is all driving towards is reconciliation. And that's where we're going to be in a few weeks is seeing this family reconciled, seeing Jacob and Joseph reunited and, and weeping on one another's necks and this beautiful picture of reconciliation that for us will foreshadow the reconciliation that we have in Jesus. And that's where we're going. But for tonight, as, as this kicks off, the theme that becomes so evident throughout the chapter is fear, is fear. So I'm going to let me open my Bible. I forgot to do that. We see fear. We see we're going to see Jacob's fear that really bookends the whole chapter. We're going to see the fear that the boys, the 10 boys exhibit when they're confronted with the memory and the pain of, that they caused in their brother's life. And we're also going to see Joseph's fear. But they're going to be compared and contrasted pretty, pretty clearly. So I want to say this. The main point in the sermon is that a holy and biblical fear of the Lord will lead to reconciliation with God and with others. That a holy and biblical fear of the Lord will lead to reconciliation with God and others. All right, so this is 20 years since Joseph was thrown in the pit and sold into slavery, right? So just for context, Joseph is somewhere around 40 years old, maybe a little bit younger, maybe a little bit older, somewhere around 40. Uh, Jacob is around 130, and Benjamin is 30 years old-ish, somewhere around there. We know when, when the reconciliation happens, Benjamin is, like, if you, when you just read the story and the way that Jacob's treating him, you would think that he's 11. <laughs> he's, he's 30. He's a grown man, and he's, when he comes to Egypt, he brings 10 kids with him. So it's just context, picture in your mind. That's, that's what's going on. And so we see the, the story unfold, right, where God sends the famine. It's not just hit Egypt. It's hit Canaan. And, and Jacob looks at his sons, and he's like, now, why y'all sitting around? <laughs> you're just looking at each other waiting to starve to death I heard there's food in Egypt and he sends him down but he won't send Benjamin so we, and we see that when they get there man there's this, this irony that happens right that, that Joseph confronts his brothers but they don't, they don't recognize him and for good reason right he's clean shaved he's dressed like an Egyptian he's probably got a good tan going on and and he's speaking Egyptian. He, he speaks to them through a translator. They don't understand him. And, but he right away recognizes them. And they all get around him and, and bow down. And you remember that scene, right? Well, it's a dream come true. Literally. It is. Like, he, he dreamt that. He had this, remember he, he, when he's a teenager and he's like, hey, guys, I had, I had this dream where you all come and bow down to me and they all got so upset and it's, it's happening. And God gives him this wisdom and we're gonna come back to this, but I just wanna summarize, like God's gonna give him this wisdom because in this moment, I mean, 
<laughs> who among us would blame Joseph if he just told one of the trained guards that stands ready to obey whatever he says if he told him to put a spear through one of them like take vengeance like get your revenge right now these jokers your flesh and blood your brothers betrayed you tortured you beat you up threw you in a pit sold you into slavery you know how your older brother used to pick on you that's crazy how did he not just give in to bitterness and anger. Now he's in this position of power and he can unleash. He can unleash on them. Vengeance. But he has the wisdom in this moment to know vengeance doesn't belong to him. That's not his to unleash. It becomes this beautiful picture that leads to reconciliation. But he's going to test him. He's going to test him. Did you see that when we're reading through that chapter? He tests his brothers. And the test is not about them spying out the land, right? He uses that phrase. You're here to see the nakedness of the land. What he's accusing them of is, oh, yeah, you say you're from Canaan. No, you're from some enemy country, and you're here to try to spy out our weaknesses, and you're using the coming under the guise of you need food. You're a beggar, but really you're trying to see where we're most vulnerable, So he's making that accusation, but that's not really what it's about. That's not what the test is about. The test is not about spying out the land, but about reconciliation. Joseph's testing them to see, is there hope here? Is there any hope for these jokers? Has there been any change of heart? Has their character changed? Will they continue to lie and act in their own self-interest? Will they care about whoever gets left behind? Is there any real remorse for what they did? Or do they just have a fear of punishment? And he's testing them for information. He don't trust them, right? <laughs> the irony, what, what are they, when he says, y'all are spies, what do they say? <laughs> we are honest men. That's where I would have lost it. If I was keeping my cool right there, I'd have lost it. I know me, I, I, and when, I, when I'm starting to get aggressive, I laugh. I don't know, I'm weird. When I'm happy, I cry. When I'm aggressive, I laugh. It just, my wires got all messed up. But I, I just start laughing. But then I, but like a crazy, like diabolical, it's not, it's not good. It's not fun to be around. I think I just would have lost it. I would have started laughing. I would have wa- been laughing <laughs> on my way over to get one of the spears myself. <laughs> Honest men. <laughs> That's hilarious. What'd you tell dad? Where am I? Oh, Yeah. A goat ate me. What did you say? You made something up? Like, like the irony of like, no, we're honest men. You can trust us. And he's going, no, 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 no. I got to test what they're saying. He wants to know like, is my dad alive? And how have you treated Benjamin? I know how you treated me. What did you do to him? And so he's testing them to see like he wants proof of life. So through the circumstances of this chapter, the famine, the brothers fulfilling the dream, God gave Joseph in the testing And what comes from that, what emerges for that for us to consider is the different way that fear is experienced by these different characters. We will see Jacob demonstrate an unhealthy fear. We will see the brothers grapple with a fear of punishment for their great and terrible sin. We will see Joseph walk, and this is it, we will see Joseph walk in the wisdom that comes from a healthy and biblical fear of the Lord. 
So let's look at the first couple of verses. I want to look at Jacob's fear first. So we'll look at the bookends of the chapter. First verses one through four. When Jacob learned that there was grain for sale in Egypt, he said to his sons, why do you look at one another? And he said, behold, I have heard that there is grain for sale in Egypt. Go down and buy grain for us there that we may live and not die. So 10 of Joseph's brothers went down to buy grain in Egypt, but Jacob did not send Benjamin, Joseph's brother, with his brothers, for he feared that harm might happen to him. Thus the sons of Israel came to buy among the others who came, for the famine was in the land of Canaan. Now jump down to verse 35, end of the story, or the end of this part of the story. As they emptied their sacks, behold, every man's bundle of money was in the sack. And when they and their father saw their bundles of money, they were afraid. And Jacob, their father, said to them, You have bereaved me of my children. Joseph is no more. Simeon is no more. And now you would take Benjamin? All this has come against me. Then Reuben said to his father, Kill my two sons if I do not bring him back to you. But put him in my hands and I will bring him back to you. But he said, my son shall not go down with you, for his brother is dead, and he is the only one left. His harm, if harm should happen to him on the journey that you are to make, you will bring down my gray hair with sorrow to Sheol. He has allowed the circumstances of his life in his grief to choke out his faith. It's been replaced by fear. He's just fearful and bitter. I mean, that is not a subtle shot at his other son standing around, right? Benjamin's all I got left. It's harsh. He's bitter. He's fearful. His grief and sorrow choked out his faith. His fear is earthly. It's kind of a, I think this is where I'm a little snake bit on using illustrations this weekend, but I'm going to try uh, it's a long story. I think we can relate to this. The, it's the, the slippery slope of like what ifs, right? Where you just become so fearful where bad things happen and you get your eyes off the Lord and you put them on your circumstances and, and, and all of a sudden everything goes from a potential to serve the Lord, a potential for the gospel potential to love people and, and to enjoy life to everything is potentially going to be an injury, a sickness, a failure, the way that we view finances and relationships, like fear can just take over and grip your life. I mean, we saw it happen to a nation not that long ago. That's where Jacob is right now that he's allowed his circumstances to drive a fear that have momentarily eclipsed his faith in the Lord. He knew, right now, what he needs is a bigger view of God, a right view of God. He needs to remember who his God is. Right now, he's so afraid of death, taking his boy. I'll read this to you from uh, Matthew 10, 26 to 33. And Jesus teaching and what he's teaching about is hey as you guys got into the world and proclaim the gospel you are going to be violently persecuted there's going to be violence against you the world is going to push back against you he says this 
then he, he comes out, he's like, man, they're going to throw you in prison. They're going to do all kinds of bad stuff to you. They're going to torture you. Some of you will die. And then he says this, so have no fear of them, for nothing is covered that will not be revealed. Like, they'll be dealt with. Vengeance belongs to the Lord. Nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the dark, say in the light. What you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops. And do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father? But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not. Go ahead, it's fine. It's funny. I've got eyebrows and a beard. I've hair on my head. They're numbered. Fear not. Therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my Father who is in heaven. Jesus is talking about the intense persecution that his followers will experience for proclaiming the gospel. We are not to fear anyone other than God. The worst, and this is not sarcasm, the worst they can do is mock, imprison, torture, and kill us. All of that is temporary suffering. Rather, Jesus teaches us that we should fear the one who has the power to deliver us into hell. But this fear gives way to confidence. Did you see it? This fear gives way to confidence in his love and concern for us. If he cares for birds, how much more us? There is a sweet promise that proclaiming the gospel may cause suffering, but the one who has the power of heaven and hell will claim you as his own. A correct biblical and holy fear of God will eradicate, appropriate, and or absorb all other potential fears, whether real or imagined in my life. I'm gonna read that again. A correct and biblical and holy fear of God will eradicate, appropriate, and or absorb all other potential fears, whether real or imagined in my life. So, of what or who should I be afraid? What could I fear that is greater than the power of God. All right, pause. Jacob's 130, and for most of his life, he's had these awesome experiences with God. He has seen God move. He has wrestled with God, but he's lost sight of this. He's allowed his fears in his mind to become more powerful than his God. And that's why we do this. That's why we open the word. That's why we sang this psalm that we sang earlier. Who's more powerful than God? What is more powerful than God? Nothing. No one. In a right fear, when I fear him and see him in a correct way, man, that appropriates every other fear that would potentially take over my mind and my emotions and my actions. Puts everything else into perspective. Of what or who should I be afraid? What could I fear that is greater than the power of God? What circumstances in my life is outside of the wisdom, knowledge, and sovereign purpose and plan of God? What government, 
or person has more power or authority over my life and destiny than Jesus. Rhetorical, right? I mean, think about these believers that Jesus, the disciples, when Jesus teaches them that, Jesus knows. Nero, you're going to face Nero. Was there opportunity for fear? <laughs> yeah. He's an emperor. Powerful. Roman army at his command. Do whatever you say. He says, take that human being, put him on a pike, set him on fire, they'd do it. Take this group of people, feed them to lions. They would do it. But that authority does not trump, does not defeat does not overshadow or eclipse the power and authority of Yahweh. And a story like this is, man, he's calling us. Jacob is fearful. The boys are fearful. But there's a big difference between the fear of the Lord and being afraid of the Lord. Psalm 27.1 Yahweh is my light and my salvation. This is what we're saying. Yahweh is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? Yahweh is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? The fear of the Lord, the fear of Yahweh. What's this mean? What are we, what are we talking about? Because this can be so confusing. There, a perverted, a, a, an unbiblical view of God, if that's what's in your heart, in your mind, it's easy to go, oh yeah, I, I know why somebody would be afraid of God. Like, he's, he's holy, he hates sin, he's all-powerful, and he knows everything. So then, therefore, he, he knows that I'm a sinner, he knows my thoughts, he knows my words, he knows what I've done. Like, and there's a type of view of God that just sees him as an angry violent, potentially in your mind, an abusive father figure. And that type of view of God, that type of fear of God is going to cause you to flee from him, to be angry at him, to, to be bitter towards him when the, the circumstances of your life don't go right because you're going to see everything negative in your life as punishment from that angry God. And here's what I would say. That God doesn't exist. That's a, a character of the one true living God. Now we should, we should fear him because some of those things were true. He is holy, absolutely. He's holy, holy, holy. And he is perfect in his righteousness and his justice. And he's appointed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness. And he does hate sin. And he does know everything and he sees everything and he hears everything but he is love. And a right view of God, for God to reveal to us his nature and character, to see his holiness and his justice, is only done, he only does that so that we would run to his steadfast love, to his grace and mercy, because we see in him, yes, I fear him because of who he is, but I also fear him because of what he offers. And the fear of the Lord, man, will draw us into his grace and his mercy. The fear of the Lord, his greatness, 
his wisdom, his love, his justice, his power, his majesty, his knowledge, his sovereignty, his beauty, his patience, his utter transcendence. This makes everything and everyone else look small and powerless and foolish and very, very finite. And it draws us to him because he is just so awesome. And there's no one else like him and there's salvation nowhere else. There's safety, forgiveness, nowhere else. And my hope is, that's how the boys began to fear the Lord. I keep saying the boys, because that's how I would write it down in my notes. Joseph's 10 brothers, right? The sons of Jacob minus Joseph and Benjamin. This test is laid on him, and he says, y'all are spies, and, and, and he puts them in jail. And they don't think, they don't think Joseph can understand him. Again, he's talking to him through a translator. He's only spoken to him in Egyptian. And, and they have this conversation, verses 21 through 22. Then they said to one another, in truth, we are guilty concerning our brother. All this starts to come down on him, and, and, and what comes out is we deserve this. We deserve what we're getting. In truth, we are guilty concerning our brother. And that we saw, man, this part's hard to read. And I don't know, before I, I slowed down to really start studying this chapter, you know, we, we, we read the story of when they sold him into slavery. But the picture I had in my mind, and Spencer painted a, a, a graphic picture talking about the, the chains and the fetters that they put around his wrist and his ankles. But when I read this, it was like a whole new view. Like, this has been on their hearts and minds ever since they left. You see what he says? We saw the distress of his soul when he begged us, and we didn't listen. It's graphic, right? Like you see Joseph, he's been beaten, thrown in that pit, he's dragged out, they chain him up, and they're dragging him off into slavery, and he is pleading and begging He's crying out to his, his kin, his brothers, and don't do this, save me, rescue me. And they just look at him. I picture a man foaming at the mouth, just crying, begging, pleading for his life, and his own brothers do nothing. That is why this distress has come upon us. And Reuben answered them, did I not tell you not to sin against the boy? But you did not listen. So now there comes a reckoning for his blood. And I hope, I don't know, it's speculation. I hope this is godly conviction over their sin and not just like what goes around comes around. Like we deserve this. My hope is that they're convicted because they've known and God over these 20 years has been convicting, always coming back. I hold out that hope because of the reconciliation that's coming in later chapters. God in his grace convicts of sin to bring us to repentance. This is the whole point of the law, the whole point of a good and right fear of the Lord. 
It's interesting, okay, so remember, this is the Exodus generation, that the original audience, right? That's the, these are the first guys here in this story. It's that generation that came out of slavery. That's the same generation that, I'm gonna go to Exodus 20, and, and, and Exodus 20 is when they're receiving the law. Remember that? They're at Mount Sinai, and remember God, God shows up, and at first all the people, they're around the mountain, and, and God shows up, and how does he show up? It's intense, right? There's like this dark cloud that descends and lightning and thunder and everything is shaking and the people are so afraid and they hear the voice of God and all they can think is, we are going to die, right? It's intense and so they're like, uh, hey Moses, we really, really liked it when you would meet with God. Listen to what Moses says. Now pay attention, I think it'll be up behind me. There's irony here, or there's tension here. There's mystery here. Do not fear, for God has come to test you, that the fear of him may be before you, that you may not, what does it say? Sin. Saying, don't have a fear that makes you want to run away and, and, and close your ears and not hear from the Lord. Don't have that type of fear. That's not why God's testing you. God wants you to have a fear of him because listen to this, a fear, a right and holy and biblical fear of the Lord will lead to obedience. Lead to obedience because that fear sees God as awesome. And this fear begins to to change the way that we see him from maybe this angry, powerful, abusive father figure or king to, man, he's so beautiful. He's so powerful. He's so good. I want to obey him. I want to obey him because of who he is. Moses here sets out a contrast. There's a difference between, this is from Ligon Duncan, it's so good. Moses here sets out a contrast. There's a difference between being frightened of God and fearing God. If you fear God, there is no reason to be frightened of him. But if you do not fear God, there is every reason to be frightened of him. I'm gonna read that again. I'm dyslexic and something like this, man, it spins my brain out. Moses here sets out a contrast. There's a difference between being frightened of God and fearing God. If you fear God, there is no reason to be frightened of him. But if you do not fear God, there is every reason to be frightened of him. A right fear of God brings us into his love, brings us into his grace, brings us into his salvation. If we don't fear God, man, that is a scary place to be. That means you're still in your sin. That means you haven't embraced his salvation. And that means you're under his wrath. And that should cause us to tremble, to fear. Listen to Jeremiah 32, talking about the new covenant. I will give them one heart and one way that they may fear me forever for their own good. We don't think like that. (laughs) It seems so contrary that they may fear me for their own good and the good of their children after them. 
I will make with them an everlasting covenant that I will not turn away from doing good to them and I will put the fear of me in their hearts that they may not turn from me. The fear of the Lord keeps us secure. The fear of the Lord keeps us secure in our relationship with him. Jeremiah 33, 8 through 9. I will cleanse them from all their guilt of their sin against me and I will forgive all their guilt of their sin and rebellion against me. And this city shall be to me a name of joy, a praise, and a glory before all the nations of the earth who shall hear of all the good that I do for them. They shall fear and tremble because of all the good and all the prosperity I provide for them. The fear of the Lord leads to repentance, forgiveness, and eternal life. Sinclair Ferguson said this really slowly. It is that indefinable mixture of reverence and pleasure, joy and awe, which fills our hearts when we realize who God is and what he has done for us. It is a love for God which is so great that we would be ashamed to do anything which would displease or grieve him and makes us happiest when we are doing what pleases him. So good. So good to see him for who he is. Yeah, we fear him. It's more than just respect and all. There is a trembling. There is a fear. He knows everything. He's all powerful, but it just keeps drawing us deeper into relationship with him. Say this. The fear of the Lord leads to an understanding of God's perfect love for us in Jesus. The fear of the Lord leads to an understanding of God's perfect love for us in Jesus. First John 4, 15 through 19. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him, and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment. And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. The fear of the Lord leads to an understanding of God's perfect love for us in Jesus. And that type of love casts out the type of fear that lives in dread of punishment, of hell. When we understand the perfect love of God for us in Jesus, it displaces all fear of eternal punishment. Fear of hell is gone. A healthy biblical fear remains where I just want to obey him. I just want to please him. So the key verse is verse 18 when Joseph says, for I fear God. Again, Jacob is being choked out by a worldly, earthly fear. The brothers, Lord willing, are being, they're under a fear of the Lord that's leading them to repentance. But Joseph, he is walking in a fear of the Lord that produces wisdom, that produces wisdom. Joseph demonstrates a fear of the Lord that dictates his actions. How did he not become bitter and angry? How did he keep from walking away and just completely embracing Egyptian culture? How did he not take revenge in that moment? His fear of the Lord 
provided the wisdom that he needed, which had this, is going to have this huge payoff and reconciliation. Philippians 2, 12-13. Oh, no, before I read that, where'd it go? There you are. Proverbs 9, 10. Y'all know it well. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The knowledge of the Holy One is insight. Wisdom, and y'all know, wisdom's not knowing a bunch of stuff. Wisdom's not sounding smart while you sit around and talk about theological things. Biblical wisdom is living skillfully. Biblical wisdom is taking the truth of Scripture and applying it correctly to your life. Biblical wisdom is seeing God for who he is and then living in light of that. And that's what we see Joseph do in this story. These brothers come and bow down before him, and it's like all of a sudden he's got this crazy plan that's going to test them. Yeah, God's giving him the wisdom that he needs to navigate the circumstances and relationships of his life, and it's all leading to reconciliation. And we have that opportunity. So we walk in a biblical, healthy, godly fear of the Lord. He's going to provide the wisdom that we need for our circumstances, our relationships. Philippians 2, 12-13. Therefore, my beloved, as you've always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation. Your own salvation Secure in Jesus. Jesus did all the work, worked it in you. Now you work it out with fear and trembling. For it's God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. The fear of the Lord leads to walking in wisdom. The fear of the Lord leads to obedience. The fear of the Lord leads to a fruitful life. So, I'll just ask, hopefully, Throughout the sermon, you've been asking yourself, like, what, what kind of fear of the Lord do I operate under? Right? What kind of fear of the Lord do I have? Am I afraid of the Lord? If you're not afraid of the Lord, like, you should be the most fearful person in the room right now. If you can know that you're walking and living contrary to the nature, character, and law of God, then you should be terrified. Because he's real. This is his world, and he is holy. And that day of judgment is coming. But see him in that and then see the love and the grace and the mercy that he offers you through Jesus who went to the cross to take your punishment, to take the wrath of God in your place so that you could then walk in a fear of the Lord that is much more like how a child fears a godly parent who loves him and has nothing but security and peace, joy for that child. That child does not want to displease that father. So, Let's pray, and we'll worship the Lord. Father, love you. Thank you. Thank you that you've revealed yourself through your word. Thank you that you revealed yourself through stories like this, that we can see how different people respond to you, learn from it, and glean from it. I do pray for anybody in here that doesn't know you. God, that in your kindness, you'd lead them to repentance, that you'd give them the gift of faith to believe in Jesus. I pray, Lord, that for all of us that we would, would not neglect this, not to, to stop and to truly meditate on who you are and, and walk 
in a fear of you so that no other fear would take root in our hearts and minds. I pray that if there is fear in our life that dictates how we live and how we have relationships that's unhealthy and is choking out our faith, I pray now that even as we sing these songs that you would reveal that to us and we confess it and that, it, and that all would get eclipsed by a right view of you, of your power, of your goodness, of your beauty. Lord, we love you. You alone are worthy to be worshiped. In Christ's name, amen.